Hi, I'm Jarrett Murphy, filling in for Ashley Ford, and this is 112BK. Coming up, the Blue Borough of Brooklyn has returned a Bay Ridge Republican to the state Senate eight terms in a row. We'll talk to him about his chances this year in the face of a progressive wave. I think climate change is something that's being discussed on a regular basis. I think that the jury is still out on climate change, and uh, that is a federal issue versus a city and state issue. Uh, more so, it's a federal issue. And then the venerable street fair Atlantic Antic turns 44. If you combine all the festivals together in one, this is pretty much the mother of all festivals. In a few moments, we're going to be speaking with the executive director of the Atlantic Antic, the mother of all Brooklyn street fairs. More than just a bouncy castle, there's delicious food, arts, entertainment, pony rides. Did I mention food? But first, when Republican Marty Golden was first elected to the state Senate in 2002, Democrats outnumbered Republicans in his district by about 37,000. That margin has increased to 48,000 by 2016, but Golden kept on winning. Even as other GOP senators in New York, like Guy Valella, Serfin Maltese, and Frank Padavan have fallen, the former cop and council member has hung on. Now in this year of the blue wave, he faces Democrat Andrew Gunardis in November and joins us here today. Welcome, Senator. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you for having me, Jared. So for those who are not familiar with the electoral map as you are, your district covers what part of Brooklyn? We go through the southeast, southwest parts of Brooklyn from Bay Ridge, Dyka, Bensonhurst, Gravesend, uh, parts of Midwood, Borough Park, uh, Sheepshead Bay, Garrison Beach, Marine Park. So we cover a pretty good uh, swat of the southeast, southwest parts of Brooklyn. So for people living there, what will be different in two years' time if you are reelected versus Andrew Gennardis? What will be the difference to their lives if you win? Well, what I've been able to deliver for our community and continue to deliver for our community, and uh, just in this year's budget alone, you see what we're able to do with uh, the design build and making sure that we get the Brooklyn-Queens Expressway built and uh, done in a timely fashion, putting $250 million into NYCHA so we can take care of our homeless issues and to make sure that we can uh, get the homeless off of the street, out of shelters, and into housing. Uh, that's very important. Congestion pricing for our taxis and for higher vehicles, that will give us almost $10 billion in money that we can put into the MTA to give us the ability to uh, get the 10-year plan that the MTA has underway and get that built. And uh, that 10-year plan is very important for the people of Bay Ridge Dyke and Marine Park as well. There is the uh, black box, which uh, I passed and waiting for the governor's signature. And that's the money that the governor keeps sweeping out of the MTA accounts. And they shouldn't do that. That money should be left there and used only for an emergency declaration. God forbid we ever have to need that money. But that money should go and stay in the MTA. And we're going to continue to do that. We also do the money with the $837 million that we needed. Uh, we got the mayor of the city of New York to put up his share and we put up our share so that we have the action money that we need to be able to get that system in good repair. We're going to continue to do that and working with the uh, one-stop shopping for uh, human trafficking bill and making sure that we have homeless uh, people that are being harassed and people are being trafficked, uh, that they have a place for housing, short-term, long-term, and short-term, long-term planning. Uh, we put almost a billion dollars in opiate for uh, the uh, people that need beds. Uh, we extended that $10 million for that alone. We put in money for the insurance to make sure those people get the opportunity to get real, real attention and real 
medical care. We've done the same thing in public safety and putting money into not only bulletproof vests, but for bulletproof cars, but also for drones. Uh, 21st century, we don't have the 21st century technology. We need those drones to be able to take the bad drones out of the sky, those that are armed. We give that $4 million to the city of New York this year to do that, and to be able to have drones to be able to look at what happened at King's Plaza so that we can have those drones up there letting them know what's going on and see what's going on. I wanted to ask you about law enforcement because, as I mentioned in the lead-in, you were a heavily decorated police officer. You were, had to leave the job because of a serious injury. During your time as an elected official after that in the council now in Albany, the debate about or the discussion about criminal justice and policing has evolved a lot. Have your views about police community relations, the role of, of race in policing, have, have they evolved? Have, have you changed with the times? Well, we have now the NCO program, which is neighborhood policing and actually having the cars and the men to go out there and to deal with the communities uh, and have the same police officer you see every day so you can talk to that police officer. So that's good for both business and for people that live in our great communities. But you can't keep on decriminalizing. You can't jumping a turnstile, no longer a crime. Uh, the uh, urinating in the streets, uh, not a crime. Uh, smoking marijuana and blowing the marijuana in a police officer's face, no longer a crime. You cannot keep decriminalizing these types of uh, legislation and not to see a spike in crime somewhere down the road. But we haven't seen it yet, right? Well, uh, we've been very blessed. We have a good police commissioner, we have a great police department, and we give them credit. The object of the game is to give them the tools they need and the manpower to be able to do the job. As long as we continue to do that, we'll do well. But once you start to decriminalize, there is a fine line. At some point, that fine line will be hit, and then you'll see the spike in crime. Right now, you don't see the spike in crimes and robberies and murders, but you do see it in rapes in other locations and across our city, and that's not good. So there are areas that we have to be concerned about. So our police department is doing a pretty good job. What do you feel about legalization of marijuana? That's a conversation the governor has, has been part of. I think he, it's not a great idea. I mean, you just have to look at the number of, what, uh, 1,600 people died last year from overdoses of opiates and, and heroin. You want to send a bad message out there? Send out legalization of marijuana here in the city and state of New York and see what happens to the poor kids that are dying today, the families that are suffering this very day because their sons and daughters are out there addicted to uh, heroin and to opiates. It's a bad idea. In a lot of local elections this year, Democrats have attempted to nationalize the race, to have it be a conversation about President Trump that might be occurring in your district, I'm not sure. How do you feel about the president? When someone talks to you about the fact that you're part of his party, are you a supporter of his? What's your take on his performance so far? I'll be honest with you, people in my community are not as interested in Donald Trump as they are with the mayor of the city of New York and the city council and what they're doing to them. And like I said, the decriminalization of these drugs and decriminalization of laws, the spike in taxes going up and uh, fees and fines and regulations, uh, that's what the people in my community are fed up of. As far as it comes to Donald Trump, we had uh, over 54 percent of the people in my community voted for Donald Trump. It's that now it was seven. 88%. So you do have areas in southeast, southwest parts of Brooklyn that are Donald Trump supporters. But this is about the issues that affect the people in our communities, and that is the bread and butter issues. It's about jobs, economic development, bringing those jobs here so our kids can stay and live here and grow in our communities. That's what it's about, and Brooklyn is on fire, and we got to keep it. we got to keep that momentum going. And that's what they want to see. They want to see education. They want to see 
classrooms, uh, not hotels. They want to see, you know, for homeless, they want to see more classrooms because we have the most overcrowded school district in the city of New York. That's what the people of my community want to see. They want to see real opportunity in transportation. And we've done a lot in transportation, but we have an awful lot more to do. I want to ask you about that. You mentioned congestion pricing in place for four higher vehicles and the amount of money that will generate. Do you think in order to pay for what the MTA will need to do, Will there need to be a broader congestion pricing regime at some point? Will you support that if that's what's deemed I, necessary? I'm sure there'll be more uh, brought to the table as we move through this uh, next year. And we're obviously going to take it all into consideration and see what works and what doesn't work. Our job to the game is to make sure the MTA does have the dollars that it needs to be able to operate and to get a real plan. The last plan was 40 years. I think they were going to fix the R train in like 2030. This plan that they have right now is a 10-year plan where you got the D and the R and the N train are actually in the first year and also in the out years. So you're going to see more opportunities for our MTA system. And we need more express buses and ferry services which we're going to fight for to make sure that we get. One of the stories that you featured in, in the past few months is about speed camera legislation in Albany and the back and forth over whether, whether they're going to be extended or not. And your own record as a driver came up during those stories. Can you address that? Uh, you seem to have a lot of run-ins with the speed cameras yourself, and your position on it seemed a little fluid. No, I don't think uh, one of the failures in uh, Albany this past year was getting the speed camera bill done. And I am a co-sponsor of that bill, and I voted for it in the past. So that is not what the people in my community want to hear about. As far as my driving record, it's a driving record. There are several people that drive my vehicle. I have three people that work for me. I have a number of people that drive my vehicle. Do me a favor, that's not the issue. The issue are the bread and butter issues. Our classrooms, too overcrowded. The safety of our communities, that's important. Transportation is important. Those are the things that the people in my community want to hear. And that's what they get out of Senator Goldman for the past 16 years in the state Senate. And that's what they're going to get out of him in the future moving forward. Classroom overcrowding is an issue people bring up throughout the city. What's the solution there? Is it more money from Albany? Well, but they, I went to the SCA 10, 12 years ago. And School said, Construction well, Authority, which builds the, the, the schools. They said we need about 10,000 classroom seats. We gave them 12,000 classroom seats. And guess what? District 20 is still the most overcrowded school district in the city of New York. We not only need more schools, which we're working on right now and getting one up at the Angel Guardian site, which is the area that's being looked at by the SCA for a school and a charter school, two schools going at that location. You have the ability to do extensions on some of these schools, and we have to get that extensions put on. And yes, that's part of a program that will go out, a capital program that will be not only funded by the uh, state, but also by the city. You represent parts of coastal Brooklyn, and it's hard to think about those neighborhoods and not think about Sandy and the damage that that caused. Is it your impression that those neighborhoods have recovered? And we wonder, of course, whether more storms like that are coming down the pipe for us. Do you think that climate change is, is an issue the state needs to be more reactive to? I think the city and state of New York should have taken care of the people with sixth anniversaries coming up on October 29th. And I have people that are still not back in their homes in Garrison Beach, Manhattan Beach, and other parts of our great city. It's wrong. You had contractors that went in there that were not supervised. They were bad. They took money from the city, took money from the, the building owners, the people that lived in these homes. Uh, 
it is sad uh, what's going on. Today, we have uh, New York Rising, which is doing a lot of its work, almost completed, but not quite completed. And you got Build It Back program, which is still working in my communities in Garrison Beach. And we need to get them completed. We need to get these people back in their homes. And we need to get the damage that they've done in fixing some of these homes fixed. These people have been suffering for a long time. And God forbid another storm. Uh, this 100-year storm that turns out to be every two or three or five years is wrong. Look at North Carolina and South Carolina. It can happen anywhere. It is said that we, as the greatest city and the greatest nation in the world, can't take care of the very people that live here in a six-year period. It's wrong. It's just plain wrong. Do you think climate change is real? I think climate change is something that's being discussed on a regular basis. I tell, uh, the jury is still out on climate change, and uh, that is a federal issue versus a city and state issue. Uh, more so, it's a federal issue. What about guns? You know, we talk a lot in the city about gun safety. You were a police officer. You carried a gun. I'm sure you arrested people who were carrying guns. Do you feel that the SAFE Act has gone far enough? Has it gone too far? Do we need more restrictions against guns to protect people in your district? We have the safest laws, the, the most strictest laws in the country here in the state of New York, and that is because it is safe act. I myself passed the uh, defelony for possession of a gun. Uh, that was my bill that Governor Pataki passed years ago. That is significant, and we're going to continue uh, to go after guns. And people that get arrested should not be being paroled for gun charges or killing police officers like this governor is doing, and then allowing them to vote in elections here in the city and state of New York. It's plain wrong. People commit a crime, you got to pay for that crime and do your time. And that's not what's happening right now. And more of these people are getting out, and it's only a matter of time before you start to see more people being maimed and killed and families being hurt because of what the governor has put forward. It's wrong. So I do believe that we have the legislation. Uh, the object of the game is to let the police officers do their job and put the people where they belong, in jail, and keep them there. Andrew Gennardis ran against you six years ago, did fairly well against an incumbent senator. Are you concerned about this year's race? No, I'm not. He got 43 percent. I got 60 percent, 58 percent of the uh, vote. And uh, it will be similar moving forward. I, I got to give Andrew Gennardis uh, credit for coming at it again. God bless him, but he's out of tune with uh, what's going on in our communities. And I do believe that the people of our great uh, community will vote for Senator Golden and make sure that they reelect him because they want, again, the issues that we talk about, education, transportation, public safety. And there's only one guy that's been the leader, and that's Senator Golden. What Albany doesn't need is one more Democrat. Uh, we have a Democratic Assembly, a Democratic governor, a Democratic City Council, a Democratic mayor. Think about it. We need one more Democrat in Albany? I don't think so. But it's possible that other races elsewhere in the state will make the state Senate Democratic, even if you do win. And then you might find yourself in the minority basically for the first time. How will you handle that? Can you work across the aisle? Jared, you better look at those statistics again. We don't believe we're going to lose it all. We'll be fine. And if you remember, we did work across the aisle back in 2009 and 2010 when the Democrats did take over, did nothing for the MTA. And guess what they did? They raised spending by $14 billion. And guess how they paid for that spending? by raising your taxes and the fees across businesses and homes across the state of New York. It took us three years to get that spending under control and to get those taxes and fees eliminated. We don't want to see that again. I needed it people in my community. We have less than a minute left. I want to ask an important issue on the docket in Albany for 2019 is rent regulations. They're up for renewal again. You have a lot of tenants in your district, a lot of homeowners too, but tenants. Do you support strengthening rent regulations, getting rid of vacancy decontrol, vacancy bonuses There and is such? always going 
to be. That's coming up. That's going to be some of the things that we're going to address. Did you have a position on whether something. you should strengthen it or not? Well, we've got to take a look at the bill. We, st- we have to take a strong look at what the bill is going to do, and I do care. i got a number of people that rent in my community. I've got to make sure that we take care of our renters. And the same token, we don't want to see what happened back in the 70s. We do have a great community, and we're going to make sure we support this community, making sure, again, that we have the issues that address that the people need the most. It's not only the housing and the roof over their head, but food on their table and the ability to have the jobs that they need to be able to stay and live in the greatest communities in the greatest city and the greatest nation in the world. And I'm going to continue to fight for that. And my opponent can't do that. State Senator Martin Golden, Republican running for re-election in the 22nd District. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. It's Brooklyn's oldest and largest street fair, a rite of autumn, pretty much known to anyone who's ever lived in Borough Hill, Brooklyn Heights, Cobble Hill, or downtown, or who has ever had the misfortune of trying to cross town between those neighborhoods while the fair is underway. It's so popular and well-attended, it got an interesting plug in the 1989 Beastie Boys song, Shadrach. I'm out picking pockets at the Atlantic, Anik. Incidentally, Adam Yauch Park sits on the Atlantic Avenue on the border of the Antic. The fair celebrates its 44th anniversary this year, and to tell us what to expect and how this institution has stood the test of time, we're joined by Tammy Ben-Eliezer-Baxter, the executive director of the Atlantic Avenue Local Development Corporation, which presents the festival. Thanks so much for coming to 112BK. Thank you for having me. So for those two or three dozen Brooklynites who have not been to this event, what's it all about? It's a lot all about fun, community, definitely food. There's former Brooklyn Borough President Marty Markowitz coined the phrase, eat it at the Antic, walk it off on Atlantic. So there's definitely a lot of food, 10 blocks, about a mile long, hundreds of thousands of people, a sea of diversity walking down Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. We celebrate all the communities in our local neighborhoods, entertainment stages, programming, you name it, it's at our festival. If you combine all the festivals together in one, this is pretty much the mother of all festivals. So Webster's defines antic as an attention drawing, often wildly playful or funny act or action. And this sounds like that's what it is. But since its start in the 70s, it must have changed over time, must have evolved. How do you think it has? Yeah, so I, I believe the word antic came from all the antique stores on Atlantic Avenue. So there's a history, a deep history of both antique stores being on Atlantic Avenue and also a large Middle Eastern store owner presence. So they coined that name, I believe, from that. And we still keep a lot of the history of the festival alive with the Middle Eastern culture, having the belly dancing and the um, the Middle Eastern music start off the main stage performances. From the 70s, the event itself has definitely expanded. Uh, it went from a few blocks to 10 blocks, from maybe like a handful of participants to hundreds to now several hundreds of participants. So it's definitely 
expanded over several decades, and it's helped bring economic development into the community, especially for our local merchants. And that is the key reason why we continue to produce the festival, to make sure that our local merchants are seen and they flourish and they can participate on that day outside of their store. Anything new this year or that you're particularly excited about going to yourself or or showing off? Yes. uh, Well, I'm always excited around this time of year because I know we're gearing up for our largest event. We have a lot of the old timers, a lot of the merchants that have participated from year to year. We have some new merchants, but we have some new activations this year that we're very excited to present. For instance, the New York Red Bulls MLS soccer team, they're coming and bringing their Red Boulevard fan zone to Burham Place. So if you want to kick a soccer ball from midfield and and meet some of the Red Bulls team, their staff and their team. So that's the place to be for that. Also on that section is a drone experience from Pixel Academy. They're a local organization on Pacific Street and they're bringing their drones. So older children and adults can do drone obstacle course relays on Burham Place as well. So, I mean, you name it, we're going to have it. And we are, for the second year in a row, we're having the 15th annual dumpling eating contest. I know everybody like see the advertising for that. A lot of competitive eaters that you see on some of the other competitive eating What kind events. of dumplings are we talking about here? I think we've gotten to the meat of our, of our topic. Yeah, so we've asked. I believe it's like a, a pork or chicken in the dumpling that they're putting down to see who eats the most. And I think the female winner last year, she chowed down like over 100 in a few minutes. So, yeah. Speaking of hundreds or more, how many people are you expecting to draw to the event this year? We definitely get hundreds of thousands. It's It's a large sea of people, especially when you get to the middle blocks of the festival. It's just, it looks like a large sea of diversity. It's, it's actually a beautiful site. We have a lot of aerial shots on our website to look at of really the amount of people and just the diversity of our community, which is what we're celebrating on that day. So in the area that the ANTA takes place, this broader neighborhood, there have been some huge changes, Atlantic Terminal, Barclays Center. What has been the full impact of those developments on the local economy, on the mix of small businesses here? Well, we advocate for all businesses on the avenue, but it definitely, depending on the type of mom and pop business, it can hinder what they're trying to do in terms of their storefront. We've seen an influx of restaurants come in over the years on Atlantic Avenue, which is great for that type of business. But a lot of the mom and pops definitely have declined in their economic development over the years. This is why one of the reasons why we do the festival and we do other events to help merchants promote them, bring more attention, have people come and shop and dine on the avenue. So the Atlantic Antic that day is one of the key days for merchants that are participating. Some of them 
still have their storefronts open and we welcome that so people can come in and visit and see what there is to offer. There's definitely an array of small, medium and large on Atlantic Avenue as far as business size. So we have all of them participating. It's not just catering to the small businesses or the box stores. I guess that's the large ones. But we definitely started this out and continue to do this to really help those mom and pops really get more sales for this season. And one event beyond the Antic is the uh, the Pulse of Brooklyn yes. event, and that's on October 1st? So we have a promotion called the Pulse of Brooklyn. Pulse of Brooklyn is our branding where we promote the avenue because we feel like this area, this part of Brooklyn really is the pulse, the pulse of Brooklyn, that a lot of things are happening in downtown Brooklyn and the other pocket neighborhoods that we serve. Um, So the Pulse of Brooklyn promotion is from October 1st to the 14th. Many stores are participating with promotions and discounts. So it's a way to bring people back to the avenue after the Atlantic Antic, give them a little breathe room after they've spent a lot of their money on the day of the event and if if they liked a restaurant that they went inside or they were participating outside that's on Atlantic Avenue or if they liked a retail store or some other type of storefront business that they could come back and shop and dine and we encourage that throughout the year with this promotion that we offer for the local merchants and the visitors and also we have other events like in the holiday season Mm-hmm. to encourage people to come and promoting discounts. So talking about the Antic, we have just a few seconds left. What are the particulars? When is it? Where is it? What do folks need to know? It's this Sunday, September 23rd on Atlantic Avenue from 4th Avenue to Hick Street in the areas Burham Hill, Brooklyn Heights, Cobble Hill, downtown Brooklyn. It's 12 to 6, 12 p.m. to 6 p.m., rain or shine, and it's 10 blocks of fun, food, shopping, entertainment. We have our vendors and our merchants that sell beer and wine in their beer gardens. It's just come out for a lot of fun and enjoyment. Tammy Ben-Eliezer Baxter, the executive director of the Atlantic Avenue LDC, thanks so much for joining us on 112BK. Thank you so much for having me. And now some news in collaboration with Brooklyner. Four men who were allegedly sexually abused as children by a religion teacher at a Roman Catholic church in Clinton Hill reached a nearly $30 million settlement with the Diocese of Brooklyn on Tuesday. A Brooklyn judge sided with the victims, finding that clear warning signs of abuse by Angelo Serrano, who taught catechism classes and helped organize the religious education program, were ignored by parish workers and priests, and thus not reported. Serrano pleaded guilty in 2011 to abusing one of the boys and is currently serving a 15-year sentence. The settlement is one of the largest ever awarded to individual victims of abuse within the church and creates mounting pressure on Pope Francis to take action against bishops and cardinals for their roles in the abuse crisis that still plagues the Catholic Church. Adam Giambrone, the man Bill de Blasio hired to spearhead the BQX light rail, is leaving the project and, like your imaginary high school girlfriend, is moving to Canada. His departure leaves the BQX project twisting in the wind after Mayor de Blasio announced that the light rail link was dependent on federal funding, though he also announced a new, shorter, more expensive version a couple weeks back. 
The BQX was intended to run from Gowanus to Astoria, but it seems like we'll just have to make do with some buses and the G-Train, which at this point probably runs on Duncan. New York education officials released a memo on Wednesday announcing that they will not allow schools to use federal and state funding to buy guns. In a stroke of good sense, the memo stated that the purchase of firearms was not reasonable and necessary. The announcement comes at the heels of reports in August that Education Secretary Betsy DeVos was waiting whether schools could outfit school marshals with firearms, which reignited the debate about how to keep students safe after a year of devastating mass shootings. The Crown Heights Hasidic community gathered Monday night to perform the pre-Yom Kippur ritual Kaporos. The controversial atonement practice, for those who don't know, involves reciting a prayer while swinging a live chicken over one's head three times, then handing it over to a butcher to be slaughtered. Hundreds of animal rights activists, including the group Jewish Veg, descended on the scene in protest. Although both sides agree the clash was heated at times, but more peaceful than in previous years. One of the atoners, Mordecai Lightstone, told Gothamist that he sees the humanity in the protesters and respects their right to live in New York City, and he hopes that they'll do the same for him. The chickens could not be reached for comment. For more on these and other stories, check out Brooklyner at BKLYNER.com. And that's the show for today. Please join Mackenzie Fagan tomorrow when she'll speak with a local artist about his semi-autobiographical play that explores themes of race, justice, and fatherhood. BK is hosted by Ashley C. Ford, but she's off getting married, so right now it's hosted by me, Jarrett Murphy. It's written and produced by Ross Tuttle, and also produced by Fred Brown, Shireen Bargi, Isabel Alcantara, Ariana Rosas, Emily Boghossian, and Naeem Van. It's directed by Clinton Filson Jr. and recorded by Eric Haugaseg and Antonio M. Rosario, edited by Mira Arahim, and executive produced by Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias. 